Well, welcome back. This is Elite Business Live. Welcome. Uh, if you're just joining us, this is the first of two days uh, coming to you live from central London. I'm Ollie Barrett and with my co-host Hannah Previtt, we're sort of hopefully steering you through a packed couple of days. Well, shocking, shocking things. We've got shoes on, uh, we're in physical presence here, and I get to see some old friends and colleagues. Matt Phelan, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm just nice uh, yeah, excited you. and nervous to be here. <laughs> Don't be nervous, that's okay. <laughs> uh, Joanna, lovely to meet you as well. Joanna Dye, we're going to hear much more about your uh, brilliant company as well. And of course, grateful to you, Sonny, uh, for sticking around as well. Now, hopefully, through the ether, we're also joined by Rachel Carell. There she is. Hello, Rachel, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm uh, coming to you live from Muswell Hill. Yeah, no, very. <laughs> well, let's start with you, Rachel, because I want to introduce the panel uh, properly to everyone. But you are running, in my view, one of the most forward-thinking childcare companies in the world, Koru Kids. Tell us what you're doing and for who. So we are helping people with the problems of childcare and. Anyone who's a parent knows that there are many problems of childcare. It's too expensive, the quality isn't high enough, it's too hard to find the great people. And, uh, and we're trying to solve all of those problems and more. We've been um, uh, mostly focusing on after-school care, which is a particularly neglected area of childcare. We train nannies ourselves, we then match them and manage them. And you can imagine it's been a roller coaster of a year with, uh, and last year with the pandemic. Um, but uh, we are helping thousands of children and thousands of families every day and very happy to be doing our bit, helping parents make it through. Fantastic. Well, this is Koru Kids and lots more uh, to come about that and also how you've managed that transition, I suppose, over the last year, Rachel. Uh, Joanna, you are an expat, a US expat, but based here in London. Mm -hmm. I think a former banker as well, if memory serves. Yes, that's correct. So was it one of those sort of Archimedes in the bar, bath sort of spark of... Um, inspiration for your brilliant women's wear business? It completely was. Um, I spent eight years in investment banking in New York and London, working really long hours, running around the trading floor or flying same day and getting on the last flight back. And it was on a flight 16 hours into my day where I thought, my clothes are really uncomfortable. My waistband's digging in. I wish I wear my yoga kit. Can this feel like yoga and still look like a power suit? And that was the inspiration. Brilliant. And this is the business die named after you, but it, but it's also you know you're, you're doing it with great thought and care about how the products are made. Just give us a sense of the business journey so far. Where are you up to? So we launched in 2017. I made that. Um, a goal back then that we wanted to do things better for our planet and better for women and for everyone that touches the product on its journey to our customers. Um, as of last year, we got a certified B Corporation um, with a leading score in the industry above several other brands. But I think our work is just getting started. And on that, just remind us, this is a B Corporation uh, declaring that you are there for the benefit of all of your stakeholders. Have I got that? Exactly. B Corp is for not just shareholders in the bottom line, but it's for your customers, suppliers, employees, got it. everyone. Brilliant. Now, I'm just imagining now Matthew Phelan slipping into your yoga power suit as you <laughs> lean back in business or first class. You're an international <laughs> out of mystery. Uh, Matt, you, you created the happiness index, right? Yeah. Um, this is a thought that's been at the center of our minds, right? In terms of how is everybody really doing? And yeah. you help us understand how people are feeling and thinking about their own lives. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no getting away from it. And we should talk about it today, which is people are struggling. Yeah. Um, and actually, the, the 
area that, um, and one of the things that we talked about last when I was here last year was the Minions movie. Yeah. Um, and in, in the Minions movie, there's a thing called meh, when you feel meh. Mm. And one of the things that hasn't been really talked about much in the press that I just wanted to introduce today is the, this big group of people in the middle. So it's not, we're not talking about people that are suffering from clinical depression or people that are really happy. This, it's growing from about 20% of the workforce to about 60% of the workforce that just feel meh. Yeah. Um, which might sound like a funny thing <laughs> to talk about, but yeah. it's actually really serious. And I just, mm. it's just, that's why one of the things I was thinking, what's changed since we met other than the whole world <laughs> a year ago? Yeah, yeah. That is one of the big changes we've seen. Yeah. And then let's just go back to the big picture in terms of the sorts of organisations you work with, because you are drawing a very clear link between how someone's feeling overall within an organisation and how that organisation performs. Yeah. So for me, the biggest thing is, is, is banning this, is, is happiness or emotions a, a fluffy metric. Um, and and let's, just, let's just talk about emotions. I, I, in my career, I've been described as too emotional before. Um, scientifically, that's not a thing. It, being too emotional doesn't exist. But if you're in a work environment and you don't allow people to be emotional, and you're a great host, you allow us to do that. But if you don't allow people to do that, a couple of things that it would, would stop you from doing would be being creative. Uh, and memory recall. So that's just a couple of things that if you don't allow people to be emotional as, as part of your role, allowing us to feel comfortable, you won't get the best out of people, whether we're your guests on here or whether you're, they're your employees. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess there's that, there's that thing around how do we have better conversations with our teams about how they're doing and how they're, how they're really doing. And I just wonder with that, are there times when technology is our friend and are there times when we just strip it all back and it's about one human connecting with another? Can I, can I put that to you, Rachel, first of all? How do you really get a handle on how everyone's doing and how you can support them? We have a regular practice in our um, team meetings where we start off um, a couple of our team meetings, not every single one, but some, some strategic ones during the week. And we all go around and we have to choose three words that describe how we're feeling. And I think the fact that it's three words is really important because often people will say something like this. They'll say, I'm feeling fine, a uh, bit tired and completely overwhelmed. <laughs> and you sort of get the truth in the third word. It's amazing how often it happens. And quite often they don't want to go that deep and they can only think of two. And we kind of go, we kind of try and hold that line. No, you've got to say three, you've got to say three. And the truth comes out in the third one. And one of the things I think is really useful about that practice is it normalizes these feelings. You know, I'm feeling annoyed with my partner. I'm feeling harassed. I'm feeling exhausted that, you know, because I didn't sleep well. These are all just normal human emotions that everyone feels. There's no judgment in feeling them. And if we just simply acknowledge, um, we actually find that a lot of our meetings go a lot better because, you know, I, I know that you don't have that grumpy look on your face because you don't like my idea. You have that grumpy look on your face because you're just really tired because your newborn kept on waking up with it throughout the night. So, so what happens then, and Sonny, maybe you've got a view on this, as an organisation grows and they say, ah, I remember the day we could practically all have sat around the campfire, but now it would have to be the biggest bonfire in the world. We start to introduce technology, dashboards. At what point does it all become, frankly, a bit sinister and weird or a genuinely no uh, normal way to keep a tab on how everyone's doing? I think we have to 
adapt to the times. So I think when we were all in the office or in a location, you can pick up on cues of if somebody is tired or if somebody's not feeling great. And then as a manager, that, that's a responsibility to go and, and respond to that cue and, and help support that person. When we're in a, a stage now where we're not together and, and we're all in different locations and if somebody is not feeling great they turn their video off and the only cue you've got is is a voice cue i think additional technology helping giving you an idea of actually and and there are some interesting things of like analyzing voice so if me as a manager i can analyze somebody's voice and see actually they aren't as upbeat as they usually are maybe there's a potential issue here and giving somebody that additional support i think Personally, I would use technology in the environment that it's needed and to adapt to, to new ways of working. Okay, I, I, and I just got to say, Sally, someone listening to that might be drawn in and saying, gosh, well, this is powerful. And uh, you will forgive me saying someone might go, this is spooky and weird, right? So yeah, will you yeah. forgive that? alternative view on that yeah i mean you've got to take both sides of the coin right you've got to think about both and some of it maybe it's a little big brother i don't want my manager knowing how i feel today right which is is fine but that's no different to me and you having a conversation uh, over um lunch or something and and me just being a little bit more withdrawn you'll I pick guess, up on those cues I, I guess joanna the reason we're starting here is because the better we understand how each other are doing um the more we can enjoy work bring our full selves yeah. to work how does it work in practice? What works for you? Well, I think a great anecdote for my team is we all came in on Jan 4th, the first January of the year, which is the gloomiest day of the year, but also after the evening of the announcement that we're going into lockdown and just went around and asked how everyone how they were feeling. Mm -hmm. um, pretty miserable and and by the end of the week we sent cocktail kits to everyone and did a social so that we can all just <laughs> be in a more relaxed environment but i do think not having that physical presence where we are able to detect those extra emotions that you don't get through digital it does make it more challenging got it um, so 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 matt just briefly help us navigate through this because clearly you've got some very powerful technology available to track if i can put it like that um how to use it responsibly and thoughtfully I think building on uh, both these both the points here is a, around an anonymous perspective of doing it so if someone's feeding at back about if I tell you now how I feel and we didn't happen to be on stage and it was just over there I trust you so I'd expect you to keep that anonymous so I, I'm a personal believer that if people are using technology to give feedback the feedback should be anonymous and that you should never be worried that this is going to go elsewhere because that creates a safe environment to do that and, and it shouldn't replace the fact that if you feel worried or concerned or whatever about something you should still speak to your manager yes technology should not replace normal basic human behavior like all the discussions around here like how are you, has anyone asked you how you are today ollie how are you yeah yeah well <laughs> it's a, well I'm, I'm reminded of some very high profile conversations recently when someone hadn't been asked that question uh, by the way if you've got questions for the panel please do send them in i'm going to change the subject completely and we're going to come back to this does your organization have an office a physical office in its future and if so why and if not why not and i'll start with you joanna if that's all right and rachel will get you after that but um and forgive me as we switch gears to get as much in as possible but give us the verdict for my business which is a product-based business absolutely and we do lead with product innovation and research and development so that is our place where we do have samples of swatches and 
garment construction, the first prototypes coming in, we do need a fit model to try things on, to measure things. And mm -hmm. you can't do all of that via Zoom in a conference call. So for us, there's absolutely a place for the office. But even for the teams who can work remotely, coming together to have that brainstorm or having that water cooler like idea spark is, I think, so important. And you just don't have that interaction or that bouncing okay. off each other at home. Having said that, and Rachel, we'll come to you momentarily. You're a global citizen. Isn't that limiting your horizons? If I'm cheeky for a moment, you could have your CMO based out of the Netherlands. I mean, I think what this pandemic has shown is that you can absolutely be a global company and be virtual and everywhere mm. and still have your core product development, the physical aspect of your company based somewhere. Okay. But I agree with you, like the CMO, people who can work virtually, absolutely. I think there is a premise for doing that for us in the future. And we wouldn't have thought that before. Okay, tricky one this. Rachel, where's Koru Kids on this? I think we're, we're doing what a lot of people are doing, which is we're going to be hybrid. And people like me, I've got two young kids. I've absolutely loved, you know, getting getting to spend more time with them. I personally don't want to go back to the old days of being mostly in the office. But I'm extremely conscious that uh, I'm at a particular life stage. And for the more junior people in our team, and I think this is pretty common, they, you know, they, they absolutely craving the human contact. They want to be with each other. They want to be in an office. Uh, and also they don't necessarily have the home set up to uh, enable home, home, um, home working. So we're going to be have basically downsizing a lot, our office, and uh, we're going to have a, a kind of a hub. And I will expect that the junior people will go there most days, probably. Uh, and then the senior people will um, will go occasionally and, and we'll try to invest more because we're saving on office space. We'll try to invest more in things like summer parties and company days and that sort of thing. One of the things that's really on my mind as a con of what I've just said is I'm really thinking about mentorship and apprenticeship yeah. for the junior people because I think so much of the way you learn, certainly the way I learned, was by osmosis and you know just sitting next to someone, Witnessing. hearing what they did, you know, poking my head into a meeting. So I'm I'm very open to, to and looking for ideas on this. I think though that everyone is thinking about this right now, so I'm confident that we will figure out how to do really good apprenticeship. Good. Well, this is very um, uh, I'm grateful to how open you are in your thinking process on that. Thank you. Very briefly, Sunny, we could talk about this for an hour, couldn't we? Sunny, Ring Central office. You don't need one potentially. You could walk the walk, but I suspect you find something valuable about face to face. Yeah, I think it's it's the, both points are, are the same. We have a lot of product innovation. We have engineers that will want to work together. We have marketing campaigns which will need different teams. So I think there's there's definitely a hybrid approach moving forward. Um, we I don't believe I don't believe all businesses will ever be the same again. Mm. I think looking at studies, a lot of people want a hybrid approach to working. They don't want to be forced either way. Um, so I think moving forward, we will see a lot more flexible working. So on that, Matt, you've got offices in New York, in, 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 is it Shanghai in China? Yep. Yeah, so office in the future of the index? So the way that I look at it now, I've had a real review of everything, is I look at it, rather than office, I look at it as, I use the word home. And then once you start to think, forget about the word office and think about home, I think what you have in your head totally changes. Mm. Um, and the reason, and it's good because we've got a fashion entrepreneur on here, which is, what's that saying? Like fashion is temporary, style is permanent. And I think what human beings haven't evolved in the last 12, 12 months. Mm. <laughs> Evolution doesn't work that quick. So our basic human needs still remain the same. 
Um, and why I think where, where we will move to is we will need spaces to come together and collaborate. Um, but we need the flexibility to be able to do the stuff like school runs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're starting from, is we will need homes around the world where people can come to collaborate. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's how we're imagining it. And just to be clear there, you're talking about almost like the business sense of a home. Yeah, exactly. To feel because we have, this, we have this whole conversation versus home versus work or whatever. But yeah. I think we should be allowed to have multiple homes because yeah. you shouldn't go into the office and think, I've got to sit at my desk and do my work. That can be done from anywhere. Got it. Right. Well, I can see some good questions coming in. I want to ask you to be quite pithy, each of you, in my next question, because I think it divides opinion. To what extent is it OK to treat every member of your team differently, given they're all individuals? And I hinted at this with Sonny versus treating everybody the same. Because it wouldn't be fair, would it, to say John can do something that Julie's not allowed to. Or maybe the enlightened future is one where we tailor how everybody's allowed to work because we understand we're all individuals. Joanna, then Rachel. I think everyone has their own um, qualities, their own passions, and their own growth journey within a company. And so I do see my management style as everyone as an individual, taking them through in our regular reviews, what's going well, what do you love doing, what don't you love doing. And as a startup, we already wear so many hats as an individual, but I think it really allows that person to hone into what areas they really excel in and, and want to pursue as a, as a career and get experience in. So, so I think, you know, conceptually we can get behind that so in in reality if you and the team member had discovered that frankly homeworking wasn't working out for them to what extent would it be okay to say therefore we're not going to let you do that I'm afraid and you're gonna to have to come into base because clearly that's what we've just agreed works best for you um I mean, I think with the whole conversation we're having, it is about ha allowing that flexibility and having the hybrid model going forward. And I don't think we have to choose. Okay. What are, where are you on this, Rachel? I think the thing to do is to have an array of different options. And as long as you're transparent about it and you have things that different people can choose from, I think um, it doesn't make sense to assume that everyone's the same. And traditionally, the, the assumption has been everyone's a you know childless male in their 20s in a lot of workplaces and those, those things are just not true so as an example we're working with a lot of companies at the moment um, on uh, covering after school care from 3 to 6 p.m uh, and we, we receive more inbound um, from companies wanting to uh, talk to us about childcare for their employees in the start of January than we had in the whole history of the company combined and uh, and that period of time just from 3 to 6 p.m that's only really relevant to parents that have children of the age of, of school age and uh, i think it's it wouldn't be right to say well because only that that need is only felt by some of, of of the employees we're not going to offer it uh to anyone at all i think the answer is rather to say well let's get a solution like coru kids for that very specific need and let's think about other people's other completely different specific needs and and present an array of different benefits yeah no that's very helpful thank you rachel well let's have some quick questions i can see one here uh from lynn Xiu. she's saying what should businesses do to keep their employees productive while keeping their mental and physical health in check and not overwhelm them too much so you might choose that team to answer that in a, in a very practical way but as you wish joanna um i think 
I think I set, uh, and I've had this feedback from our team before, that I set a good example of achieving mental and physical health while being the founder of the business and running around all over the place. Like I will sometimes, in the normal days, run to the office, which is about four miles, and run home, or just pack my stuff and go for a run at lunchtime. And uh -huh. that has inspired other employees to sign up for whatever gym or well-being um, class is, is of their favor. And since then, we've introduced a stipend for all employees every month that we subsidize their well-being or fitness or boutique um yeah like classes that they want to take and we interesting what's the most popular thing they do oh right now like more than half the team is on cycle to work scheme and we all have bikes and we're riding in so it's carbon neutral very helpful interesting now i'm not going to ask you another tricky question so matt you're getting this one which is <laughs> is it all right for a founder a co-founder to say look i am going to choose to work every hour sent to me round the clock but i don't expect you to do that or is that a double standard say that again ollie so you might say look yep. i founded the happiness index i'm going to work around the clock yep. you'll see me pinging emails non-stop yep. but don't worry you don't have to do that or is there some sort of hypocrisy there saying well matt you need to model these behaviors as Joanna's hinting yep. at, if you expect to be a good leader. Yep. Or can you say, look, is one rule for me, one rule for you? Because I started the company and I got more invested. So firstly, it is important to model it. But two, you don't need to rub people's noses in it. So sometimes I send emails on a Saturday and Sunday, but there's this great little thing in Google that allows you to schedule it to not send it till Monday. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so you, there's lots of technological ways to do it. And lots of entrepreneurs are just, they are built that way. And, it's, a, and it's, it's also a mental health issue for them, but you don't need to just push that on everyone else. And one other thing just on this, which is if you're a founder and you're there and you're like, oh, my people won't work as hard as me, blah, 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 blah. Then you need to put your money where your mouth is and make them owners because you're an owner of the business. So we made all of our employees owners because then, then you're on more of a level thing. So don't moan about people not following what you're doing if you're not prepared to put your money where your mouth is and make your employees owners. Very interesting. Now, just briefly, Rachel and Sonny, to get your thoughts on this more broadly. Rachel, you and I probably know a few workaholics. Are they being irresponsible by working every hour of the day or is that just the way of a founder? I like how you said they like, rather than you. I mean, I am a, I, I, I am a workaholic. I'm one of those people who um, who does work all the time. And I have um, I do have two young kids. So if I'm not working, I'm with my kids and there is n pretty much nothing else in my life, uh, even pre pandemic. Um, there's there's my family and there's there's my job. And I have stood up in front of the com my company and my team several times i try to emphasize this and i have said to them exactly what you said before i do not expect you to, to do what i do i don't expect you to reply to my weekend emails i don't expect you to reply to my messages um in the evening and i, I just think we all have free choice um you know that's that's the way i want to work um this is my passion i am incredibly passionate about building the world's best childcare service it's what i want to do with my life my team are very mission aligned, but they also make different decisions and that's fine. And as well, as long as we acknowledge it, I think it's not a problem. Okay, interesting. Now, Sonny, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. Someone's picking up on a point made about generational gaps and Rachel was speaking to this a little bit. Um, Sonny spoke about generational gaps within an organization. How should businesses go about this and optimize bringing their workforce presumably along uh, alongside? For example, should they have, this sounds quite extreme, an equal number of millennials, baby boomers and Gen Zs in the company or more of one than the other. And maybe it depends on the company. But there's an interesting thought there. Yeah, I think I think the, the, 
number of people from any generation you have within your team helps build the culture and the way that your business works. Personally, I don't think I would put a mandate on having a set amount of people from each generation because you may have a certain generation that, that doesn't have as much interest in your field or you may be excluding the best candidate for the role because you're trying to fill a specific yeah. quota. So I think there are um, things that you can learn in terms of how to put them in place. And I think Rachel made a great point earlier about actually uh, younger people may want to be in the office more because they want to build their network, they want to learn off colleagues, they may want to, they may not have the, the space that um, somebody who's been working for 30, 40 years may have at, at home. So there are a number of reasons why you may need to adapt, but I think having that approach where you will provide services or support that a specific generation may need is part and parcel of being a responsible manager. Yeah, that's very interesting. And um, Joanna, I don't know if you've got a take on that, but clearly there's a lot we can learn from each other. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a right answer, but I was reflecting on this question on the way in. And um, I think I sit at an interesting age in that I'm an older millennial, but having been brought up in investment banking where it's quite an old school, you go through the ranks, you earn your stripes, you go through like your series of promotions to now running a startup where we are more millennial or Gen Z um, biased in age and seeing and working with those people. Mm -hmm. I think one is nurturing the younger generation that it's not like you can just have it all because you've showed up and you've got a social media account. It's like you still have to learn, get the experience, get the credibility and build your career. Um, whereas I think a lot of these younger folks can tend to assume that they can just have it all and it's right there in front of them. Okay, it's like yeah, no culture. point taken. I've got quite a technical question if it's mm -hmm. still here. Here we are, it's, a, it's more of a sort of IT based question. Michael Frierso, thank you Michael, asks, as an IT manager, it's difficult to make sure staff are using the approved tools and platforms. Do you have any advice for IT teams who are struggling to combat shadow IT? So it's sort of, uh, you know, sort of flying under the radar. Of course, Sonny, they need an integrated solution. We all, we all know that. But Matt, speak from the horse's mouth. What have you seen in practice? How do you get people, uh, how do you get people sort of uh, using tech in a way that's most productive? I think this comes back to, again, which is, uh, judging people on outcomes, not on their actual what they do in their, in, in their day to day, which is related to all these questions. And actually, I do think companies have to take a bit of a stand back from command and control. And if someone is really embracing a bit of tech and it's helping them do their job, then companies need to be a little bit less, well, I'm trying to think of what the word is in a professional manner, but, mm -hmm. but overbearing on the employee, because guess what? If there's a bit of tech that can help people, maybe the IT team should be reviewing it. I'm a bit worried about this though. Rachel, do you see where I'm coming from? Won't this end up everyone running riot? Do what you like, when you like, where is a bit, was it Martini, Cinzano? I can't remember the ad, but uh, I mean, this could lead to chaos, couldn't it? Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm on the extreme end of just let a thousand flowers bloom on this. Um, my team are always discovering, you know, cool little new tools to do product design better or, um, uh, you know, alternatives to Zoom that uh, we try out in a meeting and they're terrible and then we move on and try something else out. We're constantly innovating the software and the idea of constraining that, it just, it makes me feel slightly sick, honestly, I hate it. But <laughs> I do understand there are industries where you do need more control. You know, if you're working in a, in a highly regulated industry, if we were a start, you know, a, a um, challenger bank or something like that, I think there are, there are unfortunately times when you have to do it. We try to strike the balance by we, we issue everyone a standard laptop. It's a it's a Mac. 
uh, and we try to basically lock, lock down a lot of the, um, the security stuff. And then on top of that, we encourage people to experiment with all, all sorts of different types of software. But we mm. do also give them training in how to data protection training in how to spot dodgy software and also dodgy everything else. I think that's really, really important. But but, that, but that's a bit that's a bit controlling, isn't it, Rachel? What what about PC? What's wrong with that? And on your flowers blooming? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean these are all about trade offs, right? Uh, oh. We got to we're we're running a regulated business, and you just have to unfortunately strike some kind of a balance between well, innovation a very good and control. Point. And, yeah, and you're doing you're doing it brilliantly. I get I get that. Um, an organisation might be tuned. A person might be tuned in, thinking, do you know what? For whatever reason, morale has hit a real low in this team um to what extent can you relate to that and is there a word of advice for someone tuning in and by the way that morale could be in their in their seat as they're watching it in, you know internally as the person watching matt what would you say i think I, I learned something like actually last night that was incredibly important which is we know that the number one thing that makes employees happier is relationships right and i learned last night there's a difference between fatigue and depletion so fatigue is when you, uh, when you, whatever you have gets better by resting. So if you use your brain or your body or your muscles too much, you rest and it improves fatigue. Depletion can only be recovered by, for example, seeing your friends, um, being inspired by someone that you've met okay. and having a conversation. So um, speaking to, I would encourage everyone to speak to their teams about the difference between depletion and fatigue, because you may have, there's a lot of people at the moment who've taken, they'll take holiday and they'll come back still tired. And I think Zoom fatigue, unfortunately, is getting all the blame because correlation doesn't mean causation. Yeah. There's lots of other reasons people are not feeling great at the moment. And I'll just start with the um, fatigue depleted conversation. Brilliant. I think that is a standout moment for me. I love that. Thank you. Sonny, what have you seen firsthand here? Oh, I think that, that point's great. It's really interesting to hear. I think the other point uh, I think you made with your team, you sent them out all cocktail packs. I think sometimes getting on a video call and not talking about work, yeah. we, we miss yeah. that a lot. Yeah. And actually asking, how, how are you today? What's new? At Ring Central, we've got a whole host of groups where we just jump on and, and you talk about an interest or you, it, we have a global relay team who go and run a couple of miles each and record it and share it. So I love these. Hannah's going to want to grill you more about these. I like <laughs> it. Um, now, forgive me, Rachel and then Joanna, I'm going to ask you to be uh, super pithy, but particularly on this subject of just really trying to raise that morale, what works? Well, we've, uh, the constituency I am obsessed with is parents and uh, having good quality childcare um, to support them is the thing that I'm seeing make the single biggest difference. So we actually, for our own team, give a 50% subsidy on childcare because we just think it's that important and transformative. Wow. Yeah, that's very, very powerful. Thank you. And Joanna, how about your experience? I think what we're evolving out of this is the same approach we have that's unbound by convention, doing things differently to marketing, to product, to everything. We're doing that with employees. Just last week, the team biked 500 miles for SmartWorks and raised funds for them as well. And that was an organic reason to get together, share our bike rides and put that on our Instagram and really engage with the audience. But it also shows our people and culture and we all had fun doing it. And so what's that every month or every few weeks that we can do to really get that energy and get the team going? Brilliant. And I'm genuinely delighted we get to say we, we, we met you in person today because I know that Dai is absolutely going places. So that's D-A-I. We can find out more online as well. Uh, of course, Rachel, Koru Kids, that's a double K there, isn't it? K-O-R-U. 
uh, Coral Kids. Uh, Rachel Corral, thank you so much for joining us uh, from Muffler Hill. Uh, very nice to see you. Uh, of course, uh, Sunny uh, from Ring Central. And just on a personal note, thanks so much for your support of this event over the years as well. It's much appreciated and great to see you bringing such humanity to this discussion today. Thank you. And of course, Matt Phelan, uh, until we next voyage again, wherever that might be in the world from the Happiness Index. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good to see you. Thank you. Right now, as our panel leave the stage and go and find the wonderful Hannah Previtt, uh, I will say a final thank you to them as they wend their way and tell you just a thing or two about the next keynote and indeed panel. But let me stand up to do that. Stretch my legs. Now, our next keynote is coming up at five past two and it is with Simi Swill who's head of SME banking at something I think of as a challenger bank that's right Starling Bank so Simi will be telling us firsthand about what that has entailed uh, lessons uh, from the front line if you like um, at 2.05 as well, we've got a breakout, which is Action Coach's very popular author and franchisee. That's James Burke. And he's going to be answering questions, however big or small, about your personal business frustration. So that's the breakout session. You'll go onto the Ring Central platform for that at five past two. Let me hand over to Hannah Previtt, who's backstage. And I would love to listen into this, as I'm sure you will. Hannah. Thank you, Ollie, and another fantastic session and lots of food for thought there. So I'm going to be joined by our three panellists that were joining us live here at Elite Business Live. Uh, and the first of those is Matthew, if you'd like to come and join me up here. Hello. You can't escape just yet. No, no worries. <laughs> so what I'm really interested to find out is that, you know, lots of businesses these days really pay lip service to caring about the mental health of their employees. Yeah. But how do you really tell the difference between those actually care and those that are just doing it to attract and retain people I think I think employees and, and human beings they're they're smart and it's like in any type of relationship you can sense whether people have been genuine or not and um, so you'll see it you'll see it once we come out of lockdown I think we'll see one of the biggest ever migrations of employees away from companies that have actually just been paying it lip service versus companies that have really looked after you and anyone who's listening you know you know it if you've been really looked after you're going to be loyal if you've if you've been treated rubbish in the last 12 months you're going to be looking for jobs already and what does looking after mean particularly obviously our audience today is kind of entrepreneurs and business owners they don't necessarily have the deep pockets of you know google or one of the large corporates yeah. or you know a big accountancy firm to pay these huge salaries so how can you you know, attract people in and then get them to stay if you can't pay them the big bucks? Yeah, so good, good question. And I blame Google for this question, <laughs> <laughs> but it is a good question, which is everything that you need to do to help make employees happier and feel respected is completely free. And I think we get stuck talking about perks and that's why I blame Google for it, like the, the Google office and the slide in the office, all that kind of stuff. If you think about the, the Maslow hierarchy of needs, the basic things like being able to go to work and feel safe, it doesn't cost anything <laughs> to do that stuff. And these are the things that make a difference. So we get obsessed with all the perks, but actually it's the normal human stuff that we need to focus on. Okay, can you give some real kind of tangible examples of that? You know, things that people might be able to set up. So I heard um, 
it was Bulb actually who was speaking recently yeah. about how they've created kind of men's coffee mornings for men in particular to talk about their mental health and how yeah. they're feeling. So are those kind of some of the things that you're seeing in, in small businesses? I, I would say they're useful initiatives that work on a, on a, base, a basis per basis company and, and whatever pe- people are into that that works. But I genuinely think the most important thing above all of this is, is your, is your boss, do they care about your career? And do they care about your career outside of this company? Like, for example, if you were if you had an opportunity outside this company and it was better for you, do you think your boss would actually tell you that? And I think that that for me, that's what I think is is the the best thing that you can offer anyone, which is, do you generally care about their career? Yeah, and that's that's a really interesting question actually, and it's one I might put to a couple of our other speakers about kind of personal development, which can be really hard within a small business because there's not necessarily you know the obvious kind of roadmap if you like through a company that you would have in a large corporate, right? Because there's yeah. not that hierarchy. Um, so we've got a couple of questions that have come through for for you here. Uh, what about the role of technology? I know we touched on it there, but do you think yeah. that it, does it help or hinder human interaction? I think we talk about just talk about the Dunbar number really quickly. So the Dunbar number is around 100 to 120, which is the level at which a human society starts to break down once you get beyond. So when companies get above 120 or so, everyone doesn't know each other's name. So I think companies above 100, they need, we call it emotional intelligence at scale. So some of our clients got 450,000 employees. The CEO wants to be able to flick in and see, oh, how's everyone feeling? You can, if you've got 50 employees, you should be, you should be able to do that yourself. Um, so I think it's, it's the scale thing that, that companies need help with. Mm-hmm. Do you know what? We're going to have to wrap up there. No I worries. Thank you all day, Matthew. But thank you very much for your thoughts and observations this morning. They have been incredibly useful to all of those businesses out there watching. So thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Take care. <laughs> thank Great you. to see humans in real life. Yes. <laughs> Long may <same>. it continue. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> okay, if I can now welcome Joanna from Die. Uh, I haven't seen any of your pieces in real life. I look forward to doing so very soon. So can you just tell us about your team that you have at the moment? How, ma- how many of you are there? So we are on about seven people full time and we've got an extended team of our consultants and agencies that work with us on a daily and weekly basis. And do you think that's really useful for a business of your size to be able to kind of ramp up and down like that without taking on all the additional costs, etc., of having an increased headcount? Absolutely. I think especially during the last year, we all, I mentioned we all wear lots of different hats within the company, but I think that gave us the agility and flexibility to really step in and all hands on deck on something important that we're doing or really spread our resources and divide and conquer uh-huh. and did you hear that that last question that Matthew and I ended on there which I think is a really interesting one and I actually hosted a people summit for fast growth kind of scale-up businesses a couple of years ago and this was something that came up so thinking about those development opportunities yes. for your team because there's a bit of it's a bit of a kind of double-edged sword isn't it because they can wear many hats yes. learn lots of different skills but at the same time there isn't always that immediate you know obvious route of progression through the company so how do you deal with that? I think it's actually an advantage for someone that's a startup or even down to the size of my company because there are it's a land grab of opportunities for development for showing just how competent you are just how senior you can get and when you perform it's over a year on your period and you see how far that person has come the promotion opportunities the responsibilities they get are so much greater and as if and when they ever move on there's so much more on their cv that they can talk about that they've done as a part of our incredible growth journey Mm -hmm. and who was your first hire if i could ask 
My first hire was our head of customer experience and styling. Um, so that really took on both the digital piece of dealing with customers as well as the in-store piece of dealing with customers. And um, this person has both experiences, so that's been great. And now she's very people's person and head of our partnerships as well through marketing. I think that's very telling, actually, that kind of first hire as to what the immediate priorities are for the business, because mm -hmm. for others it might be kind of an FD and it's kind of taking on that expertise. Mm -hmm. So. Thank you very much. That's Thank all we you. have time for. But um, do please stick around and uh, I hope to speak to you again soon. Great. Thank you Thank so you very much. much. Take care, Joanna. And last but not least, and um, Sonny, I hope you've saved some pearls of wisdom uh, for <laughs> me. I know this is your kind of third time through the mill. So as you were, you know, uh, you could hear that we were talking about kind of development opportunities. Yeah. How do you see, because you're also a manager, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So how do you see your role as kind of helping to develop and bring on young talent? I think for me, part of my sort of approach to management is development and learning is, is one of the key things of bringing somebody through your business. I don't think we're at a stage anymore where somebody generally is going to be at a business for life. So helping them develop, learn new skills and support them through that journey for me is, is imperative. So I try and make sure my employees get one-on-one -on -one time with me, if they need mentorship with other people in the company, if they're looking at, at learning different skills, I try and support them in any way I can, whether that's financial of putting budget towards a course or whether that's introducing them to other people or, or widening my network and, and trying to help them in that way. But I think learning and development for employees is, is the most important thing a manager should be doing. Absolutely. And uh, as we were discussing earlier, when you don't necessarily have big budgets to give them more money, if you can offer value in other ways, um, then that's really important. Yeah. Um, so, so how has your kind of strategy changed? This is a question that's come in for you um, when it comes to hiring new talent over the, you know, over the last 12 months, if at all. I think um, we've been lucky because Ring Central have the technology themselves. So we've leveraged video technology in, in our interviews. I think now we've, I'm probably a little bit more cautious and spend a little bit more time on those calls because you can build a rapport with somebody in person. It's a little bit more difficult to do that on video. So we spend a little bit more time. I also look for the opinions of, of my colleagues and my team. Um, so that, that interview process has probably got a little bit wider and we include a few more people. Um, but I think that helps you um, get a better picture of, of the people that you're interviewing and speaking to. Mm -hmm. And how important is a diversity and inclusion strategy uh, to when you're growing your team? Obviously, Ring Central is a slightly larger business than some of these watching, but do you think it should be absolutely fundamental and core when, when growing and scaling a business? Yeah, I think, it, A, it's the right thing to do, um, but B, having a uh, di diverse workforce and, and having a culture of inclusivity not only makes your team better, they, they work better, it's been statistically proven that you uh, perform better as a company, your employees are happier, but you get new ideas. If you're hiring the, the same sort of people from the same sort of background, you are never going to open your eyes or your minds to, to new ideas. So, um, yeah, I think it, it should be uh, at the core of, of hiring policies uh, across all companies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think, um, so one of the things we're trying to do here is to kind of look forward, right? So we've done a lot of kind of reflecting on the last 12 months, yep. but we want to be looking forward to the great unlocking and all the brilliant things we have to look forward to both <laughs> in our personal yep. and our business lives. What are you looking to forward to uh, the most for the next kind of six to nine months as we emerge? Uh, I think 
just meeting people. I think I've, I've really missed meeting my colleagues, meeting my friends and family. Um, it, it's been uh, tough 12 months for everyone. Um, but for me, that social interaction, uh, I'm counting down the days to June the 21st, where we can all uh, meet up. And even today, coming in and, and seeing a room full of people, getting dressed in proper clothes for a change, it's all um, been an experience. So yeah, can't wait to meet people and interact again. Absolutely. More of this, please. <laughs> yes. How exciting indeed. Well, thank you very much for sharing those pearls of wisdom. Thank it you. has been fantastic to meet you. Cool. Thank you very much, Sonny Darby.